0: I read the story of a young Olympian that just um, ten days ago took her life. Um, She was a tremendous human being. Um, Kelly Catlin helped the US women's team win cycling silver. They were favored to actually take the gold medal in the 2016 Olympics and they were upset by Great Britain but um she was an extraordinary human being and only 23 years old her undergraduate degrees were in biomedical engineering and chinese she was a graduate student at stanford and studying and I don't have any idea what this is, uh, computational mathematics. She, um, Her career path was she competed professionally as a road cyclist. She was an accomplished violinist and artist and loved by everybody. Seems like she had a supportive family. But she sustained a couple injuries in cycling in the last few months and wasn't able to train kind of fell into a depression and then uh, she embraced so her family said um, the philosophy of nihilism which basically says there's no meaning at all to anything there's no values absolute or otherwise nothing means anything what a recipe she she uh, for disaster. She isolated herself. She was a perfectionist in everything. Of course, none of us can be perfect. And then she adopted a worldview that says it doesn't matter anyway. I mean, I just felt compassion for her, and I just so wished that she hadn't taken her life. And I thought how blessed we are to have God's word. And we learn the truth about who we are and who he is and what it means to be right with the creator of the universe through the gospel, through his tremendous word. And and even in our darkest moment, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, we cling to the truth of God's word, which says that there is a creator who loved us so much that he was willing to kill his own son in our place to bring us to himself. And one of the outgrowths of our trusting in Christ is that there is a community that we enter, that we become part of. It's a gospel community that comes as a direct result of the truth of God's word. And out of that community comes a heart full of love for people who don't know Christ. And so the kind of the next step from God's truth to God's community is is our love and witness to the world. So I spent two years verse by verse going through the book of Hebrews, heavily doctrinal, lots of truth, some of it really kind of hard to understand. And I want to begin this morning... Uh, a series of messages for the next probably few months. It's not going to be two years, I don't think. M- maybe it will, but probably not. Um, on just the community, the, the, this forever family that God has brought us to. Because, you see, for, for people like Kelly, uh, we would stand with her and hold her and, and pray with her. We wouldn't let her go. Now, I'm not saying we know all too well in our church family that, uh, that people can still take their life and be so far despairing that, you know, it's, it's not that we keep people alive. But, I mean, you've got you to gotta know that it, there's something tremendous about people who saying, well, we're not giving up on you, and we know that God loves you even if you don't, and we're going to keep praying. And, by the way, you know, let's go for a walk. I mean, I I wish that for this young woman. And um, I, I realize that the church isn't always what it's supposed to be. I mean, we are supposed to be people who are so different in so many ways. We come from all kinds of backgrounds, ethnicities, mother tongues. And God brings us together. We are different in the way we look at life and the life experiences that we have. There are many, many things that are different about us. But the greatest difference and the greatest separation that people have, first from God and then from one another, is sin. That's where all the estrangement comes from. That's why there's bigotry and racism um that's where why there is abuse of one kind or another for those who are weakest in our society and jesus heals that and so it is that we find out that we love one another surprisingly sometimes more than our own natural families doesn't always not always the case, but sometimes it is. And I, as I've thought about that, why is that? I think it's because we begin to see the imprint of our loving Savior in everybody else that we know. And he's the one we love the most. He, he's made the difference. He's our favorite person. And we begin to see him in other people, old and young and different in color and temperament and experience. And we're family. That's the way it's supposed to be. And yet it isn't. I, I know. I've, I've been around a little bit. And I know that there are churches. They call themselves churches. That aren't loving at all. That they're cliquish. And off-putting. And prideful. It must grieve the heart of our Savior so much. that That they are not loving. Like Christ is. And I think Jesus is going to have some things to say to some little churches and big churches who didn't put their arms around people but instead gave them a forearm shiver. Instead told them they weren't welcome. Uh, by Maybe not by words, but by actions. I don't think... I don't, that's by no means the norm, I don't believe, among evangelical churches at least. And I don't think it's true of our church. On the other hand, I'm so grateful that God gave us His Word to keep telling us what it means to walk the journey of this faith journey together and what it means um, in terms of very practical things. We have a whole series of commands in the Bible that tell us what it means to be family together. We are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're called the body of Christ. We are called, you know, we're called family. We're called the church. And these are these commands are linked by one Greek word. The, the Greek word for any Greek scholars out there is the word alone And it means one another. Or sometimes it means each other. And there's more than this, this list I've got, I'll just read it, but there are far more than this. Bear one another another's burdens, bear with one another, build up one another, comfort and encourage one another, confess your sins to one another, don't grumble against one another, don't envy one another, don't judge one another, don't lie to one another, don't speak against one another, forgive one another, greet one another, live in harmony with one another, love one another, pray for one another, regard one another as more important than himself, seek to, good, to do good to one another, serve one another, stir one another up to love and good deeds, submit to one another, outdo one another in showing honor, wait for one another. So my plan is, I trust it's not my plan, but the Lord's to focus on the one another's. These, they're called, technically, they're called reciprocal commands. Fancy word for who cares. You know, who cares what it's called, fancy word. Um, and you can remember the one another's pretty well. And it seems to me that the, the most obvious place to start and the one that is most cited in scripture, we're most familiar with, is love one another. And so I, I've spoken on this before, but it's great to start this way. And just as Gene read, we, we begin by the instruction of our own Jesus. And I'll read verses 34 and 35 again from John 13. Christ said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So I I thought I would ask what probably will seem like a dumb question. You know why are why are we supposed to love one another? I mean actually, we're supposed to love everybody anyway, right? We're sort of Christians are the generic let's love everybody kind of people. So what is the point of making a specific love one another, in other words, loving a church family in a special way? When you think about it, It makes sense that we don't love everyone the same way, even though we should love everybody. I mean, you love all the children, right? Well, some of you don't. Some of you, wow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you don't love your neighbor's kids like you love your own kids, right? And you don't love your neighbor's spouse like you love your own spouse. And if you do, You are headed for disaster, my friend. So there is a special kind of love we have. And um, I want to explore why this is so. I want to give you some reasons why this is a true statement. You know, love one another. Why? First and most obvious is that love is commanded. I mean, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. And that brings up another question. How can you command somebody to love? I mean, really, isn't love just like some sort of freight train that hits you? You weren't even expecting it, and there it is. And it may leave you just as fast, right? I mean, uh, an old song that nobody, well, there's a few of you probably would remember. I'm just thinking of the lyrics. It says, when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie. That's more. <laughs> so, I mean, isn't love just something that kind of just like the moon hits you and there you are in love and then, me. I mean, then the moon goes away. <laughs> um, well, my answer to how can you command somebody to love is, is partly to say that's not the right view of love anyhow. And... Um, most pastors have waxed eloquent about the four loves and i'm sure i've talked about them before but i just a, a quick reminder greek is more nuanced in many ways than english is to talk about these kind of things and there are there are in the first century world of koine greek common greek there are four different greek words they don't all appear in the bible but um, it, it's good to contrast because If you are reading Greek, you see storge, but you don't, and you know that that's family love. But if you translate it into English, it's love. Or philos, philia, is a friendship kind of love. And that also appears as love in the New Testament. Eros, as its name implies, is romantic slash sexual love. And then you've got agape, which you've heard probably a few sermons on agape love. Agape is a sacrificial love. And so what Jesus, the, the language that John records Jesus in is Greek. And he's saying love with sacrificial love. It's not a feeling at all. It's a way of living. It's a way of uh, acting toward people. It's... The reason it's a new commandment, you ever wonder this? Jesus said a new commandment, and yet you know in the Old Testament there's many times where we're told, Leviticus 19, we're told to love our neighbors as ourselves. So that part isn't new. I think the new part, the new commandment part, is probably to love like Jesus shows us to love, to lay your life down if need be for somebody. So, But then I have to go back to the question again, well, how could you command somebody to do something that's impossible? Right? I mean, I cannot love like Jesus loves. He can command me all day long and I just can't I can't do it. There's a popular idea that says, well, God would never command you and hold you responsible for things that you are not able to do. That would be wrong and And yet, God does that all the time. If you think that's the way God operates, you're in for a surprise. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 48, be perfect, even as... That is a command. Be perfect, even as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Now, some of you may think that you have obeyed that completely. (laughs) But you have not. Just ask your wife. Or or someone close to you who knows you really well. Um, So, even the command... um, to be saved is an impossibility. Would he command someone to be saved who didn't have the ability? Of course. <laughs> I mean, none of us do. So all of this is to say, when God commands us and holds us responsible for things we cannot do, the whole point is that we need his strength and power, his love flowing through us, his Holy Spirit giving us what we're supposed to do, yeah, we're still responsible. We say, okay, Lord, I submit, I'm going to obey. Um, uh, there's no way I can do this. I can't pull this off. I can't mm, will it, you know. So the idea of starting with, well, love is a command is not to say, hey, just get it together. You know, just try harder in your own strength. You're not going to be able to do it. So we recognize it's a command from the lips of our own Savior, Jesus, love one another. And we also recognize that's nothing we could ever work up in our own strength. We need him. We need his power. We need the spirits filling in our lives. If this is ever going to mean anything. So that's one answer to why should we love one another. Jesus said so. A second reason why we love one another is that love is a witness. Did you notice verse 35? He said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I love the fact that Jesus told us what would be a witness to him. You know, when I was in college, I used to think that the best witness I could ever be was if I would understand the objections everybody had to Christianity and and figure out a way to answer them. Somebody has some kind of weird, hey, you know, the Bible's full of myths and I figure out how to combat that and what to say. Or, hey, isn't it just a, you know, nature religion, this whole resurrection stuff? They had, you know, And what do you say to that? And so I worked at that for a while and I think it's a good idea. I mean, I, the Bible, in fact, commands us to have a reason for the hope that's in us. Um, but I, I... Figured out that I would never be able to stay ahead of this. <laughs> you know, there are more questions than I. I don't even know all the questions, let alone all the answers. So, um, and then I, there was another point in my life when I thought, well, the best witness would be if I would be willing to do some kind of dramatic gesture, lay my life down, like people going to the stake and burning to death and singing hymns while they did it. And I thought, you know, if I could, if I were a martyr, because actually the Greek word for witness is the same as martyr. Again, if the Lord called you to do that, that is a wonderful witness. Um, it's you only you only witness once that way, right? Um, but here's Jesus telling us this mundane, day in and day out, um, rubber meets the road Monday morning, kind of normal, see, normal, real life way of witnessing. It's not the only way. Somebody's got to share the gospel. I, I believe that 100%. But you love one another as he's loved us. And there is a something about that that says, Jesus has made a difference in my life. You start loving people that you would never even look at before in your old life. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, some of you who came to Christ as adults may have, where you used to think that Christians were weirdos, you know, and now you are one. Um, you, you used to think that Christians were the dumbest people, and now you are. No, no, now, now you, you look at people and you say, these are the most precious people in my life. What happened? God did a miracle work in your life. You start seeing Jesus in people that you never would have talked to, or maybe you grew up saying these kind of people are inferior. We don't ever talk to them. We basically don't have anything to do with them. And now you got your arm around him. because you're you're one in Christ. I Man, that's a tremendous witness. Agape love says that you love people who are in the family even if you don't like them that well. I mean, you're not never gonna like everybody the same, but we're supposed to love people like Jesus loves us. Okay, well, let me throw another one at you. And this, for this, we'll have to uh, uh, step outside of John. Love fulfills the law. And in the book of Romans, here's what Paul wrote I don't have this on a slide, but Romans 13, 8 reads as follows, Owe oh, no one anything except to love each other. So that's the same command, right? Love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Or if you hear what Jesus said in Matthew 22, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And his reply was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself and He ends by saying, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, you don't have to have a rule book if you think about how Jesus treats you and how he loves you. Well, treat other people that way. Love other people with sacrifice. Think what's best for them. Uh, Don't expect somebody to say thank you necessarily to come back and, and tell you what a great person you are. Um in our society sadly love means almost anything that anyone wants it to you can't tell me who to love or how to love them that's just my own that's just what's wells up within me and you and I know that the word of god defines what love is the law of god was never get, given to get anybody right with God, but to point them to Christ and to define what it means to live righteously before God. And so, you know, the the idea that we have no truck with the law, Jesus loves the law, but the law has absolutely no saving function in our lives. We're saved um, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But the law is the taskmaster, the schoolmaster rather, that brought us to Christ. So we know the, the goal, the target, and it's defined by Scripture. And when we love like Jesus loves, when the Spirit of God gets hold of us and we treat one another in this way, we've actually fulfilled the law. And that's kind of a wonderful thing. And it also, to say it fulfills the law, reminds us, that this book defines what love is and it's not up for grabs uh... we're entering a stage ladies and gentlemen I know you know this when uh... creepy old men will say that they have a right to abuse little children because it's love and uh... that that day is coming that quote civil rights battle will still be fought it's getting closer and closer and you and I know that This book tells us what love is and what it isn't. And so we love like Jesus told us to love one another. And that fulfills the law. Number four, love, the kind of love we're talking about when we love one another with agape love, love brings an assurance that we are right with God. It assures us of our spiritual birth. For this, you would need to go to 1 John. And 1 John, 1 John was written to answer a very difficult question. How can I know that I am saved? And what is there that I can look at and feel that, oh yeah, I, I, I know I am right with God. What would you say to that? I'm not actually asking, so if you answer me, this is not uh, the time. Okay. I, sometimes I have to remind people. I, I, my first church, I had a guy who always would speak up. If I threw out a rhetorical question, he thought his name was rhetorical. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he would always answer me. And I, would finally, I finally had to tell him, you know, I was just, it's just it a technique, you know. Um, it doesn't bother me if you do, but we have been taught for maybe 100 years now in the American church that the answer to the question, how do you know you're right with God? what assurance do you have, is that, quote, you made a decision. You walked an aisle. You prayed a prayer with somebody. You wrote your name in the back of your Bible and said on this day, July the 9th, 1999, I put my trust in Christ. And um, I'm for decisions. And I love the fact that people make decisions to follow Christ. But the Bible... The Bible's answer is not that. The Bible says it's cool that you made a decision. It's cool that you prayed the sinner's prayer. It's wonderful that you obeyed in baptism. But real assurance comes from present-day evidence in your life that things are different now. And so 1 John makes that point several different ways in the five chapters of 1 John. And one of the main ways... Um, John says, is if you really are saved, you're going to love one another. So that, you know, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. He got that from Jesus. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. Whoever, not not, not everybody, the creepy old man that I was telling you about and alluding to, um, he could say all day long, well, I love, so therefore I've been born of God. Now, that's not what he's talking about at all. Whoever loves the way Jesus has laid out for us has been born of God and knows God. And then he, skip a few verses, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So one of the evidences, and certainly not the only one, that you know Christ is that you have a new affection and your, your arms are now open to people That love Jesus also. The first time I went to India and I worshipped in a worship service, um, I didn't understand a word anybody said. They were worshipping in Tamil, I think it was, and singing and people were praying spontaneously in the congregation. And I found myself after a while just weeping. Because I knew my Savior was there. And I felt such an identity with those people. I just knew. We're family. I can't even speak the language. But there was something deeper. We are bound by blood. Well, I mean, that is an amazing witness. And now, if you were to come to me and say, Well, you know, Pastor Jim, I prayed in Sept- Jesus back in July the 9th, 1999. And I know I'm saved. And, and I I certainly wouldn't. I mean, I'm not going to say, well show me your evidence, of course I wouldn't say that. But if I knew you well enough to know that you never came to church and you never had any interest in anybody else outside of your little circle of friends, and nothing has really changed, you don't go out of your way to have fellowship or be accountable or pray for anybody, I I probably, I'm not the kind of person that would say, oh, you're not saved. <laughs> you know, who are you kidding? I might say that, but I probably wouldn't. But, but what my more likely would say is, well, you know, the Bible doesn't give you any assurance that you're a Christian. That that is lacking. You you can't you can't um, show me a birth certificate if you don't have a pulse. You know, what's written in the back of your Bible, that's that's great, but it, is there the life of Christ coursing through your veins? And if there is, then then you will love other people. Especially, you will have a family. People who flit from church to church. In our world, it's like a smorgasbord out there, you know. Man, did you hear that? Preaching out at that church is awesome. We should go. Or, yeah, they got an awesome uh, music ministry over here. We should go. And then over here, the, the youth ministry is state of the art. We'll check that out, too. You go from church to church, just like you go. You know, I had a friend who was big on smorgasbords and knew all the ones in town and the best ones, and we would go sometimes. I mean, that's that's cool, but it's not family. You know, so the Bible's model is that we, with all the warts and faults and shortcomings that we any group has, we commit and we're family. And one of the ways that we're reminded over and over again that Jesus is our King and Savior is because we got a family and we love them, even though they're messed up <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, all right. One more, man. We are going to get out early, and every time I say that, I know that I. But I, I we actually might. I see it's 11:39. I don't have too much more to say. But I'll think of something. No, no, I. Yeah, I know. Um, The last uh, answer to the question, why, is, it's going to sound, I think it sounds a little hokey when I say it. I couldn't figure out a better way, though. Love is our destiny. Does that sound like, you know, some kind of romance novel or something? Love is our destiny? Okay, well, maybe some of you would like that. And I won't say who. Um, By that, I mean that one of the main reasons that god saved us not the only reason was so that we would love in a community forever and ever and ever you see it in first peter i love how peter writes this first peter 1:22 and 23 he says having purified your soul souls by your obedience to the truth so that's salvation that first phrase means since you're saved And then he says, why? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Why? For a sincere brotherly love. The reason that you purified your souls by obedience to the truth was so that you would have a sincere brotherly love. And then comes a command. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again. Not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. That gets it back to the Word of God, as always. It's really interesting, but when, when you read it in English, you wonder, well, he just said, we have already purified our souls for, for love, so love one another. Like, why does he say it twice like that? And the answer is, he uses two different Greek words. Isn't that interesting? It's the philos, the friendship love, in the first case, brotherly love. We get Philadelphia, philanthropic from that. And he says, look... You were purified, and you no doubt have a fondness and a friendship with people that you never would have given the time of day before. That's good. That is awesome. And God has sparked an affection within you for people that you might not have ever considered that you would be friends with. Christians. You are a Christian. And part of the reason you became a Christian in God's plan was so you would love other people but now I want to say something to you says Peter love with agape love this sacrificial love that is not even though I said these are reciprocal commands agape isn't exactly reciprocal it means you act in a certain way even if people don't treat you nice in return it means you pray for people that may not pray for you it means that you hang in with people who are rough around the edges it means that people who don't seem like they'll ever gonna change You still love them. I'm not saying you should be their friend. I mean, that would be nice. But you love them sacrificially. You listen. You pray. You give them the time. You don't discount them. Um, And the point of saying all of that is to say, this is not just for this life. This goes on forever. God didn't just save a bunch of individuals. Like we are little isolated units that he saves and brings to heaven one day. No, he is creating a people for himself. He's bringing a community that will be together forever. Our love for him, one day we will be in in an environment of such perfection, a new heaven, new earth, that we will be stunned. And the best thing about it is that Jesus will be there and we'll be with him. But the second best thing about it probably will be that, hey, we're family. I've often said uh, about this and when I'm, I've thought about some dear person who's gone on before or, or somebody that I, I lost touch with and they maybe had a besetting sin and they just I just felt confident that they were going to come back to the Lord, but I might not ever see it. And I often thought one day we'll be around the throne together. You know, a lot of this weird stuff that has happened to us, the sins of other people and our own sins that's left a mark on us, and, and we're broken. We still we still drag around our brokenness, um, just like Jacob did. It, God put a, 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 a lameness in his hip, and he always walked with a limp. That was God's design. Well, maybe we're walking with a limp, but one day... We'll be together and nobody walks with a limp. We'll all be in an environment of perfection with our Savior at the center of it and we will be able to love and minister to one another and treat one another with such joy and peace and mutual connection we can't even hardly imagine it. Well, so that's why. That's why we're supposed to love one another. Now, my last question, I've asked a bunch of questions is well, so how do you do that? What you think I know? What I just have a slide. I'm done. No, no, I got I do have a slide. And I, I got some general suggestions here. There's no easy answer to this question. This is your life. This is how you live your life for Christ for the rest of your life. But my the first thing I know needs to be said, how do you love one another? You pursue Jesus. Everything starts with him. You must pursue Christ and let His Word soak into you every day and find how lovely He is and how He loves you and how kind He's been. Remind yourself of how far away from Him you once were and how He brought you to Himself. And all of those things will begin to turn your inner life more and more into a Christ-like presence. And so that that goes without saying, but I think we do need to say it. The second thing I would say is don't forget your family. You know, I, I think a lot of people, especially those like me in ministry, may neglect the closest ones around them. And you come to church and you're all, you know, solicitous of everybody's welfare and you're willing to take the time to listen and pray and all that stuff, and you go home and have a fight with your wife. Or you tell your kids to you know, leave you alone for a little while. We all do that. I mean, that's a good thing. You, know, you should do that. No. But you know what I'm saying? Focus on your family. That would be a great organization someone should found. <laughs> so you should focus on your family. Love them with agape love. And then the last thing, and maybe the most practical thing I have to say, is take a risk, maybe even today. Not everybody's an outgoing extrovert. Who loves to meet new people and and doesn't ma- It doesn't occur to them that they could make a fool of themselves by saying the wrong thing. And there are some of you like that, and you know, good for you. Um, not everybody's that way. Some some of us are introverted, and feel socially awkward, and we don't like to put ourselves out there. And uh, meeting new people is not. We don't love new people, but we just are very shy. But the command to love one another was not given just to extroverts. It's for all of us. So some of us need to take more of a risk than others. Maybe, maybe today you'll see someone before you leave this place that you don't really know very well and you'll introduce yourself and say, you know, I'd like to pray for you today. And you'll actually pray for them. I don't mean, you know, later, but right now. How, how awkward would that be? That might exceed your comfort zone a little bit. That would be great if you would do that. You know, can I just pray for you? I'm not even sure I really know you very well. My name is, and what, what is your name again? Okay, well, I, I just feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to say, can I pray for you? I would love to do that. Or maybe, maybe you'll invite somebody out to lunch or, or say, let's have coffee. Or I, I, walk around the, I walk around the golf course a couple times a week, and if you've got time, I'd love to have you join me. Or let's go to the gym together. You know, people. Some of you go to the gym. Don't tell me you're going to, and I'll say, okay. Well, I'm. I I gotta watch TV during that time, so probably <laughs> probably won't be able to go to the gym with you. <laughs> you know, I gotta I gotta sleep during that time. But yeah, but some of you live at the gym. Why not invite somebody else? Take a risk. So that's my challenge for you. Take a risk today. Extend the love of Christ a little farther than maybe you have in this church fellowship and now I'd like to pray Father we want to love one another and we know the bar is impossibly high because we're supposed to love in this way that nobody can the way Jesus loved us and yet you've commanded us and so we, we obey we submit we say yes Lord but we're not up to the task We just can barely love the people who are almost identical to us. We love people that have the same opinions and all of that kind of stuff. We love people we've known a long, long time. Um, Forgive us for turning away from the mandate to love one another, even if we're not well known right now, and even if we're different. Please may it be, Lord, that you would spark within us a sense of your presence and your love for us. And out of that confidence, may we extend the love of Jesus a little further today and uh, show us what that looks like, even this morning. And so we do pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.